0: I think it is actually just an insight into what does your brain do when it panics. because yeah. <laughs> this is what my brain does when it panics. <laughs>
1: Welcome to 96 Greers, the podcast where we watch every single feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. Who are we? I'm Reg. And I'm
0: Patrick.
1: And we are recording on this beautiful February 14th evening. Uh-huh. That's right, it's Valentine's Day, Ooh. and we are recording a conversation about a Nancy Myers movie. Love is
0: in the air.
1: Exciting. Uh, so, yeah, we have gathered here today to discuss the 2000 rom com What Women Want, directed mm-hmm. by Nancy Myers, written by Nancy Myers, mm-hmm. starring Helen. Post
0: written by Nancy Myers. This is a script that was bouncing around a lot, and then oh. she kind of completely rewrote it, but she doesn't have the final writing credit on What Women Want, I don't believe.
1: Oh, is that so? But that but is it, so. Is, it is still. It's her,
0: it's her script. Yeah, you, yeah. You, are, you are absolutely correct. <laughs>
1: History has, has borne out that Nancy Myers has written What Women Want. Yeah. Uh, also directed it. Uh, no, no controversy there. Right. Uh, and it um, stars uh, Mel Gibson. It does. A uh, lo- lot of, lot of uh, shifting context around Mel Gibson in the past 24 years, but I'm sure we'll get into that. And of course, uh, featuring a uh, small role played by a young Judy Greer. Mm-hmm. Um, One of her first yes yeah yeah um this is the first this is the tw- this is the 21st film that we are discussing on this podcast it is the first one that is set in the city of chicago oh where, that's right where
0: we record where we record where judy greer went to college at yes yeah
1: she's yeah Depaul. Um, uh, yeah as as did many other uh eh. um so so yeah so uh that's uh Another exciting thing you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it, <laughs> wouldn't know it was Chicago. <laughs> yeah, Chicago sure looks a lot like every other kind of Nancy Myers location where everything's very clean and sunny. Every and
0: single cultural signifier says Manhattan, except there's two shots that are in the loop.
1: Pretty much, pretty much. Um, yeah, they go they go into that iconic Macy's store and like you're like, oh, I guess this is Chicago. Um, so. Uh, Before going any further, um, I think folks will probably want to get caught up on the movie that we're talking about. Um, So as per usual, I will be providing a plot summary uh, for folks who have listened to the podcast before. You can probably tell that um, the plot summaries are pre-written. I'm trying to make them sound a little more profesh. Uh, But, you know, it's Valentine's Day. We're discussing rom-coms and... In every, in every uh, rom-com, there's there's the, the declaration of love. There's like the owning up. There's the honesty. So I want to be honest with you, the listener, and I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to try and summarize the plot of what women want just from my brain meets through my mouth. Um... And if I stutter or stammer, as I occasionally do on this podcast, I'm not going to edit it. It's just going to be raw, unfiltered uh, sewage. It is almost as if you have been electrocuted and you can now hear the
0: thoughts of non-binary people.
1: Exactly. Uh, So without further ado, uh, what women want the plot summary by Reg, age 39. Nick is a advertising, creative... Nope. No, yes. Nick is, <laughs> Nick works for an ad agency Correct. in Chicago. Yeah. He's not, he wants the job of creative director. Correct. Um, he is uh, a chauvinist uh, who is divorced uh, and has a teenage daughter named Alex. Alex is living with him for a few weeks while her mother is on honeymoon with her new stepdad. Uh, she, Alex and Nick do not have a very good relationship because as I said, he's a, he's a, he's a womanizer, he's a cad. Um, he wants the creative director job at his ad agency and is shocked when the job of creative director instead goes to Darcy, uh, an incoming employee from a rival ad agency and a woman who Nick has no respect for. Um, But the ad agency is moving towards uh, marketing products to women uh, because it's 2000 and girl power. Um, thank you Spice
0: Girls
1: (laughs) so uh, one night while um, researching potential products that they would represent uh, Nick accidentally falls into a bathtub full of these products and electrocutes himself and when he wakes up he finds that he can hear the thoughts of all the women around him and as fate would have it Uh, He decides to use this uh, new ability to his advantage, uh, both for professional gain and for sexual gain. Um, That's what the movie's about.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I did it. You did do it. (laughs) I'm going to say, you came clean. It was about as satisfying as when he comes clean in the end of this movie. And you go... Wait, did he actually admit what happened? I don't think he did. And then, and then the
1: movie ends suddenly. And you're like, whoa, wait. <laughs> Hold on a second. But the podcast is just beginning. This podcast is just <laughs> beginning.
0: This is this podcast is more on the something's got to give. If you talk about the scale of quality, yeah. something's got to give is the top of Nancy Meyers' register. Okay. This podcast is right up there.
1: So um, not only did we see what women want, but... We watched uh most of Nancy Myers's well directorial career because That's she's correct. been writing movies since mm-hmm. the eighties. Yeah. Um but uh this was her debut feature or was it uh, that... this
0: was after the parent trap, parent which trap. was her debut directorial. Okay. Directorial debut.
1: Okay. Um and I I believe uh you have seen all of her movies.
0: I have, yes. Okay,
1: yeah. I, I have not seen The Parent Trap, but we did watch uh in addition to what women want, we watched The Intern. Something's got to give. Uh, it's complicated, and the other one. Oh, ho- the Holiday, which we didn't we didn't watch mm-hmm. now, but we have both seen in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Actually, you know what? I haven't seen The Holiday, so I take it back. We're oh, we're, no. we're, we're each incomplete, but we complete each other. Isn't that a uh, wonderful Valentine's Day gift?
1: Oh wow! That so that one time I saw The Holiday on a on a plane ride. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was or where we were going. Uh, I didn't know it was going to culminate in this beautiful moment. No, no. Of love.
0: I, to be honest, I've seen the Olsen twins movie, It Takes Two, more than the Parent Trap remake with Lindsay Lohan. I
1: have also seen the Olsen twins, It, uh, it, it Takes Two. Mm-hmm. So I guess it is kind of like seeing the Parent Trap. It is a
0: lot like seeing the yeah, Parent okay. Trap. Yeah. Um, Nancy Myers, uh, lugubrious um, filmmaker. Um,
1: okay. Filmmaker
0: of kitchens Filmmaker yes. of vague mom vibes <laughs> She's not really doing a whole lot But she is sort of tossing mom stuff at the screen um, there's a lot of comfortable sweaters yes. and white rooms oh yeah and rich people walking on the beach
1: yeah yeah like big french windows that open into beautiful gardens yes. um that aren't your mother's garden they're not too fussy they're they're just a little a little wild a little fun uh but but still uh yeah there's a lot of um oprah magazine-esque yeah. opulence to her movies mm-hmm. um
0: real one percent shit this, this this filmography yes
1: yes uh it, she she's a bit like uh, <laughs> uh N- nancy myers is um probably cut from the same cloth as uh lucille bluth from arrested development when sure. she says, Spec- I'm specifically thinking of her saying, it's a banana, Michael. How much could it cost? $10? There There,
0: is, every single Nancy Myers movie has at least one moment where you go, that's not how this would work, but I guess your assistant does that for you, so you don't know that. The
1: moment of that in What Women Wants, uh, and, and to be fair, neither of us lived in Chicago in the year 2000 when this movie is set. You have Judy Greer, who plays a humble file clerk messenger very low level person in the ad agency um and then you have sarah paulson in another early role um who plays nick's personal assistant he has like three personal assistants it's very confusing mm-hmm. um but she seems to be at, at sort of a higher like a like an administrative assistant kind of level I, I, probably the, the i the the implication to me uh-huh.
0: is that he treats all women like his personal assistant right. and he is important enough at the company that he gets away with it. Right. And No, whether or not it's actually their job, right. it is in their best interest to go and fetch him a coffee.
1: Right. But yeah, but just just in sort of the position where we see her in the office, it does seem that she is a a higher ranking, better paid person than mm-hmm. Judy Greer would sure. be. And then once Nick can hear Sarah Paulson's Thoughts. She's um, angrily thinking about how she makes minimum wage, and then later we see uh, Judy Greer's apartment, and she lives by herself in a one bedroom Mm -hmm. and massive, yeah, yeah, one bedroom, yeah, yeah, decently sized, nicely decorated. I mean, I mean, like, like funky, but you know, still. And and we're just puzzling if if she makes less than minimum. I mean, minimum wage, probably. I I mean. how how is she affording this? How, how, what is going on? Also,
0: also, there's another line where Sarah Paulson mentions that she went to an Ivy League school. Which, if you're making minimum wage after going to an Ivy League school, that's, that's kind you. of on you. It's
1: kind yeah, it's kind of on you. I mean, you're not in the Peace Corps. You you're working for this like huge ad agency, right? <laughs> Although I guess it is kind of uh, the, the 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 frustrating thing for me about this movie and like Nancy Myers's movies is that there's this like. You know, soft patina of feminism ish. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, so it the film is hinting at a glass ceiling, but it never quite actually talks about any. It it, it never quite makes. Any kind of institutional sexism, no. an actual presence or an actual issue in the movie, you just kind of have uh, Darcy Helen Hunt, you know, st- uh, start this new job and and she seems a little nervous about it. But wouldn't anyone feel nervous going into like a new job situation and and there, there is the thing I think the closest that this movie comes to to actually saying like oh there is this like culture of sexism that prevents women from advancing in the workplace which is like kind of what the thesis would be in 2000 um is is there's a moment where the 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 head of the ad agency played by Alan Alda um is kind of talking to both Darcy and Nick at the same time and says Um, come by my office later, I just got a box of Cubans, and they both say okay. And then he kind of singles out Darcy and says, you don't smoke cigars, and then she gets embarrassed. Right? You know, that's like the closest this movie comes to, like, institutionalized sexism is a thing.
0: So the thing about Nancy Myers is that every single one of her movies that we watched, I didn't watch The Holiday, and we Mm -hmm. didn't rewatch The Parent Trap for this, but when you're talking about what women want, it's complicated, something's got to give, and The Intern... Um, You're talking about movies where the most important thing in the world is approval of an old school masculine guy. Yeah, If an old school masculine guy looks at you and says, you are a great girl boss, then that is very meaningful and that is the most meaningful thing. And you watch the entirety of it's complicated, and you see Meryl Streep ho- constantly hooking up with her ex-husband, who's horrible. Yeah. Everything he does is horrible. Uh, you you made an observation that it's like it all just feels like Trump whenever Alec Baldwin is yeah. doing anything in that movie, You're just like, oh, this is what Trump people think of Trump. Yeah. Trump yeah. supporters, like, this is how they see him. Um, but like the other romantic alternative is this like feminized, sensitive, modern man played by Steve Martin, and like His love is not that valuable. What is valuable is winning over a toxic old school guy to go, actually, you know, back in the day, we would have let you in the boys club. And that's why it's yeah. very important for Nancy Myers not to tear down the sexist structures because the fantasy that she is selling is what if you got to be the woman inside at the top of the sexist structure?
1: I, I really didn't do a lot of research on Nancy Myers, the, the person for this podcast. Me neither. I would bet money that she is the kind of person who says, I'm not a feminist. I think blah, 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 blah. Sure. Um, that... She just really seems like or, a, that type based on the the worlds that she creates in her movies and the uh, characters. That same she creates. same
0: mood, different tactic. I'm a feminist butt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm
0: a feminist butt. Seems like yeah. a phrase that has come out of her mouth again.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is this is very much a mentality of of women can make it if they're hardworking and talented because the the deck stacked against them and that's just how it is and we're not gonna think about the deck too hard and you
0: know what she is a successful screenwriter who was a successful screenwriter in Hollywood in the 80s so yeah. like
1: that is, like, you, that's gotta be extremely difficult you you get, like kudos like, to bi- her
0: uh, there's a, a phrase they always use on the podcast Just King Thinks biography is not destiny where it's like mm. y- you can't necessarily look at what has happened in someone's life and go ah of course that's the way that you're, you're that way mm-hmm. but like does not surprise me that Nancy Myers would go on to keep making movies like this yeah. when she was the woman in the boys club you know oh, she yeah. wrote like Private Benjamin massively successful movie mm-hmm. opened a lot of doors for her she had a lot of success in Hollywood writing uh, screenplays at a time that very few women did.
1: Yeah, and it's it's definitely uh, observed. It's It can be observed time and time again that when someone is in that position and they see um, people like them of a younger generation having more support, uh, th- th- there can be some tension and, and, and some prickliness that's not really... Uh, that, that, that's not really reflected on too closely.
0: The, but the the thing about this movie in particular, even more so than uh, something's got to give, it's complicated or the intern. This movie in particular is so at cross odds with itself at every corner. Yeah, that it it kind of is like if she was really talented as a screenwriter, she would be able to pen something that very sharply expresses how she views the world in a way that would make the movie way grosser. Mm-hmm. But this movie kind of just fumbles all over the place about everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily like every single scene is the most toxic anti-feminist thing you've ever seen or anything like that. Um, it's it's kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely uh, sort of a, a fine mist that just sort of settles over most of the movie.
0: That's kind of how she structures her movies. It's just like, here's a clump of stuff. <laughs> Here you go. I, I did it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the it's the it's the meme of James A. Castor where he's like I had a nervous breakdown. I threw a bunch of shit in a bucket. Bon
1: appetit. <laughs> and there's so many clumps and so much shit and such large kitchens. E- each of these the movies, kitchen. each of these movies, uh, at least two hours. Uh,
0: very long movies. This movie is so much longer than it needs to be. Yeah. yeah. It is so silly and yet the time that is dedicated to like the earnest adult relationship between Helen Hunt and Mel Gibson, it's like he fucking electrocuted himself with a home pregnancy test and then he could hear what a French poodle thought. This is not what this is. <laughs> this is not the, the movie that you're making.
1: I know this isn't the kind of movie where it, you know, sticks too hard on the rules of the, of the magical thing that's happening but... The logic of his his telepathy makes such little sense. Yeah, uh, you kind
0: of wish it was just like a fortune teller machine at the boardwalk, like big kinda, style. Kinda,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, a movie that I watch every single February and uh, has a similar um, sort of rough plot to this is Groundhog Day. That's true. It, um, it, it
0: is very similar in some ways.
1: Which. Uh, Pulls It off beautifully, yeah. Uh, Groundhog Day, uh, you get no explanation about the time loop that Phil is stuck in, right? It just happens, and th- watching him uh navigate it is just so interesting that any kind of explanation would take away from what makes that movie great. Um, also, you have a guy who is a you know selfish womanizing Cad, uh, who, you know, finds his humanity and his compassion and his ability to, you know, um empathize and, and see people as equals, uh, which is a much more hard-earned uh journey in Groundhog Day than what Nick goes on in fucking What Women Want.
0: Right. Um it's a it's a very strange movie because it seems it seems like Someone said, "What if Lecoq's talking, but instead of baby women?" <laughs> Where it's like,
1: wow. see,
0: Scenes play out, and then you just hear a little voice go, oh, "What do you mean by that?" <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> that, that's the that's the LeCou's talking Bruce Willis thing. He goes, "I don't even know what that means." And it's a baby. And baby, but instead of baby, it's women. Oh, but the thing God. about women in this movie is, luckily for the the sound editors. Women only have thoughts every 10 to 15 seconds. So if he is in a room with four women, the fact that they are all fucking adult women with professional creative jobs Uh luckily does not drown the soundtrack with thought. They are blessedly free of thought, except for like little thoughts like, I like to fake it. Like I have a headache because I don't want to have sex with my husband.
1: Which is the kind of thing that, of course, you're going to tell yourself all the time. Just sort of not not think about how the interaction went. Just say, "I like to fake it," and mm-hmm. I'm gonna. And I took an Advil, and that's what I did. And that's how that's how thought works, as we can see in the works of Virginia Woolf.
0: Um, you, what the the realistic version of this movie it would be. It would, I don't know if realistic, but the better uh-huh. version of this movie would be like, it would be closer to like Mystery Science Theater 3000, where he realized that women are actually really fucking funny, but women don't feel comfortable telling jokes at men's expense right. in front of men. Right. And so he just gets like a private little like Joel Crow and Tom Servo like <laughs> uh, like peanut gallery wherever he goes because he gets to hear all the fucking catty comments that women think. Yeah, But yeah. like all of the women in this movie with like a few exceptions are kind of just like like one track adults who like don't real like they're like what he discovers is women are profoundly uninteresting they're they're upset and when he discovers they're upset he becomes empathetic and becomes Mr. Sensitive Man who wants to help their problems but like they're generally like What they are is they have one thought every 10 to 15 seconds. That thought is usually just them blatantly stating their insecurity. And then they get a piece of Oprah advice that say, actually, I think you are good enough. And then they're like, my God, there is life on this
1: planet. To be fair, that did happen in for pretty much every character in every Nancy Myers movie we watch. So it's not like she's taking advantage of this to be like harsh or critical on women. That's just how she writes characters.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah.
1: um i i think we could probably uh find examples of like all this non-humor and all of this lampshading every single little thing and having very uh s- you know emotionally simple reactions to what's going on in all four oh my god of those movies that we watched over the last week
0: we didn't watch the, the holiday though so we, we kind of messed watch up the
1: holiday yeah um the th- th- what I remember of the holiday is it's sort of like Nancy Myers does Lord of the Rings where you What the fuck did a fucking spit take on you, the air. You choose to drink your beverage when you choose to drink your <laughs> beverage, and I'm not taking any kind of responsibility. Please
0: elaborate.
1: <laughs> what I mean so so you have uh, you have these characters on a journey and you have you have Cameron Diaz and you have Jude Law and they are the elves and they are they're cavorting in, in merry old England in their little, you know, uh, palatial cottage. And then you have Jack Black and you have Kate Winslet and they're the hobbits and they're and they're doing their own little thing. And, and you just sort of go between the hobbits and then you go back to the elves and then you go to the hobbits and you go to the elves. And that's the movie. <laughs> and I, I don't remember much about it. And that is exactly the experience I had of watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Sure. So, okay. Fair <laughs>
0: enough. <laughs> there were hobbits and elves check um mel gibson oh boy so mel gibson in 2000 is it a very interesting place because mel gibson was first of all just like entire career devastatingly handsome that was like yeah. the mel gibson thing was like holy shit his eyes his jawbone it is yeah uh part of the thing that made him appealing to both men and women was he had these big eyes that were very sensitive Mm -hmm. and very intense, and he almost feels like a uh, shirt-torn-open guy on a romance novel where he could just, like, grip you and, like, throw you down and kiss you. yeah. And then the thing that makes guys like him is even though he's a pretty boy, there's this true element of danger when you're watching him in like a lethal weapon or whatever, where he gets this look in his eye and he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the gun in my mouth, Raj. And, yeah. and it's like, or it's like, where it's just like Mad Max never leaves. No matter how silly those movies gets, there's some fucking Mad Max of there. Uh-huh. And then he, he got great acclaim in the mid to later part of the 90s by like turning that Mad Max thing into like high pitched hysterical uh, dramas. Um, like Braveheart, which mm-hmm. he won an Academy. I think he probably won a, several Academy Awards for. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge movie. When and the second movie
1: he directed.
0: Yeah. Uh, after the man without a face. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. But I, I think that was probably one, maybe the first R rated movie that I was allowed to oh, watch. Oh really?
0: That's funny. I was pretty young. <sighs> um, But so like the thing he really hadn't done up to that point was a romantic comedy. Cause romantic comedy sort of requires you to be uh like non-threatening and Mel Gibson (laughs) kind of in this movie he's kind of like what if Ted Danson and Cheers had killed someone at some point (laughs) you were pretty sure like like sure he's like this he's this like chauvinist uh ruggedly handsome masculine like super utterly masculine guy yeah um but like uh, Ted Danson and chairs, He's kind of charming And then like Mel Gibson in this You're like Ooh there's, there's still something A little dangerous Or whatever He is really trying To do Rock Hudson He is really trying To be The whole movie Is like mm-hmm. It's pillow talk it's, it's right. It's high-powered ad agencies, and it's all Rat Pack music, and it's Battle of the Sexes, and it's, yeah. And, and, and he's got a secret, and he can't
1: tell her. But um, oh boy, he's falling for we're, her.
0: We're gonna put a we're gonna put a musical number in there, and he, he's gonna dance to Frank Sinatra's "I Won't Dance," mm-hmm. and he's gonna do his own little thing. The, the the camera's gonna pull back, so it's like an old school Hollywood dance number, mm-hmm. and it's like it really wants to be a Down with Love style, yeah. throwback movie.
1: Um, but the thing is, Mel Gibson looks like he could kill a person. Yeah, and there's something yeah. really creepy and intense. It's <laughs> it's like when Rock Hudson looks like he's hiding a secret. It's a very different secret yes. from what it looks like yeah. Mel Gibson is yeah. hiding. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> he's like, I know with the bar- I know the bodies are buried, Roger. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> as and in Rock Hudson is like, what? No, Jim Neighbors and I were just swell pals. <laughs> My gals, Doris Day. <laughs> very very different energy. So um, th- so.
0: Especially if... So, number one, this movie absolutely fundamentally, on every level, like, square one fails... Because the very first thing you see Mel Gibson do in this movie within like two minutes of screen time is sexually assault two women. Yeah. He oh, slap, yeah. He slaps his maid on the ass. Yeah. Um, and then he deliberately spills coffee onto a woman's chest so he can paw at her chest with a napkin pretending yeah. to tap, mop her off.
1: And and no kind of blowback. No, kind no, no, of, no, 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 no. The, 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 it's very, it's, it's like presented as cheeky. Yeah. The housekeeper seems like she is... A little uncomfortable with it, but it's just sort of that, like an uh-huh, dis- "oh you" kind of kind but of thing. Also, where w-
0: that discomfort is coded as like spicy Latina.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's a, that's the other problem. Oof, this movie. Um, yes, so you have uh, so you have Mel Gibson who is. Um, not a likable protagonist right. so at all so you look at him and you go i don't want him to have
0: a redemption mark i
1: want him to fall down a manhole <laughs> but instead of falling down a manhole he crosses paths with helen hunt who uh her energy is just so vulnerable like 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 it's not i, I wouldn't go so far as to call her delicate but she does always seem like you know, she has her heart on her sleeve, and she, there's just something about her where you just kind of want to give her a hug. And, and, and the thing about
0: Helen Hunt, okay, so like that, Mel Gibson's career up to this point, we covered that. Helen Hunt. Like, let's talk about Helen Hunt. Yeah. Let's talk about someone who is also uh, familiar with the Academy Awards. Uh, oh, yeah. As Good As It Gets came out in 96. Um, that about you, uh, won a bunch of Emmys. Mm-hmm. Helen Hunt is very beautiful, but not in a threatening way. And very smart and can do sarcasm, but the sarcasm never feels like your, uh, wife is making you feel bad. <laughs> is the, That's like the very specific, she is not the Patricia Heaton in Everybody Loves Raymond where she's like right. a nag. She could be sarcastic and you like instantly take her side because she just seems so eminently reasonable in her biting witticism. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and mad about you, mad about you and, um... As good as it gets. Uh, they're both both characters are, are New Yorkers, so mm-hmm. it's like yeah. Even when there is that like that sarcasm and and that back and forth, it it's it's sort of coded as like a, a like a New York thing. And yeah. This is like like a cultural thing, and 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 she gets as good as she gives. It's you're right. It's not like she, she's a shrew.
0: she. You know, in as good as it gets, she's, she is vulnerable. She is struggling. She has a hard time. Yeah. she sheds tears. But she is powerful and feisty and you yeah. root for her. And when she sasses back to Jack Nicholson, it's like, it's Jack fucking Nicholson. Yeah. But when she talks back to Jack Nicholson, you're like, fucking Helen Hunt, Who the fuck is this loser? Yeah. Uh, Melvin Udall. I remember his name and as good as it gets. <laughs> uh, and in this movie... hmm before she comes on screen, she is introduced like, oh yeah, she was a real man eater. She yeah. was a real ball breaker. Bitch on wheels. She was a bitch on wheels. And now, to an extent, I understand what Nancy Myers is doing. I'm not I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. Obviously the idea is there's nothing wrong about what she was doing, but it doesn't matter what she does, it is interpreted as threatening by men, and so men a, are going yeah. to spin these things about her. Yeah. That said, you could make this movie where she has a little bit of a backbone, but the audience is still on her side. Yeah, and it would make the characterization make sense. This movie, she is constantly capitulating to everything all the time, and yeah. she just is like, I don't know. <sighs> I'm glad you said it because I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> and it's and she's and it's like she is just this like uh this like desperate delicate flower who who needs to be saved.
1: The- The first meeting that she calls for her staff, they are sitting around in chairs like it's a support group. Mm -hmm. Like it's this little office and they're all kind of gathered together to pitch their ideas Mm -hmm. about how to fucking market visa and advil mm-hmm. and it it just it really looks like they're all there to like share the poetry that they wrote
0: that that is a very nancy myers thing is like she is so girl boss pilled that she does take uh like making uh, a nike it's like if you do a, a Nike ad about selling sports bra to women runners, that's basically being Maya Angelou. <laughs> it's like <laughs> these are equivalent moral acts. They are all about uplifting women.
1: Something that I noticed about the the way that the telepathy works is that um, Nick gets everyone else's thoughts as voiceovers. And the only time it's not this very straightforward voiceover of... This is me remembering what happened to me last night. Or this is me uh, clearly stating what my emotions are. Uh, the only time that doesn't happen is when Darcy is thinking up the campaign that they're going to pitch to Nike. And then he's getting flashes of uh, a woman running. And it's and it's focused on her sneakers because that's uh, Darcy's creative mind at work. It's, it's literally the only time that happens. That is like the most... Um, like electrifyingly creative thing that happens in in this movie is is a, a Nike commercial gets pitched
0: and and and, and then at another point in the movie he tells her that she is quote one of the great women yes which means I guess that she doesn't just have a name prattle inside of her head unlike every other woman he encounters in the movie
1: well so he
0: so to him <laughs> he's just like you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg yeah oh
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marie Curie, Curie. Joan of Arc, Cleopatra, (laughs) and you, shoe selling lady. Um, I, I have to push back, though, on that she's having thoughts like every other woman in the movie because there are two women, uh, his two secretaries, uh, where the joke is that they don't have thoughts.
0: Again, and also, the, and like I, I referenced earlier, there is a joke uh, where, like, a French poodle runs up and he can also read the French poodle's thoughts. Yeah. Only animal's thoughts he reads. It's yeah. Like it, it's, because
1: French poodle is girl.
0: Because French poodle is girl. So, like, again, this is a... Tonally chaotic movie, yeah. Where um she doesn't know how broad she wants to swing, yeah. She kind of wants this to like she wants this to kind of be like a touchy feely, like mushy dramedy thing, uh huh. But uh, but also she knows that it's the it's dumb as fuck so yeah, she she's like got to put some goofy jokes in she there she put some goofy shit in there too
1: Oh, <laughs> um, but i i think i think that that joke where it's like oh he has these two uh these two um you know nick has these two secretaries who sort of uh cater to his every whim and, and fluff up his ego and it's delta burke and i forget who the other actress is um but they're like a bit older but you know they still dress very pretty and and they they call him sire and and they're just like oh what can we do and they're like picking lint off his coat and and then the joke is that like these are the two women who don't think and that bug the fuck out of me because it's like they're obviously like very keyed into their jobs they're obviously very good at their jobs and they're performing a shit ton of emotional Mm -hmm. labor but um nancy myers has this real problem with Women who don't perform emotional labor for men in the same way that she does, Um, which I think, and I think that illustrates the point perfectly. Um, But then you also get uh, the movie starting with uh, Nick's backstory and why he's such a womanizer and why he's such a cad. Jesus! Spoiler alert! It's his slut of a mother.
0: (laughs) It like scream. (laughs) This all started because Sidney Prescott's mother was a slut. Um, It is revealed that he grew up backstage with a lot of Las Vegas showgirls. That's right.
1: His mom was a Las Vegas showgirl. And the thing about spending
0: all of your time with grown women who treat you like a little adult is that... You have no sympathy or empathy for them, yeah. and you definitely uh, just grow to hate women and want to use them.
1: Yeah, to to the point what? where, <laughs> to the point where, if you're going to touch a bra, you have to gingerly pick it up with a pen. It, it's it makes no sense. Also, the the scene itself uh, of, of this this flashback to to young Nick. Uh, in in this uh, you know backstage area with all these showgirls where he's just surrounded by femininity is that the the child actor is like constantly getting breasts pressed in his face?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like women like specifically bending down in front of him and yeah. adjusting their boobs.
1: Yeah, and, and I think and it's it's not supposed to suggest that they're trying to like do anything to him. It's just sort of like they're in their dressing room, they're comfortable. Well one of them it is like And they're scanty. Well I guess it's like yeah. she is she is like she is like, isn't it funny? Isn't it titillating? Like, I guess. I, I i thought it was just her trying to like adjust her bra before she goes. She on like stage. specifically
0: like looks at him and smiles oh, but okay. while she's okay. doing it. Miss so. that.
1: But but it's mostly just like like oh they're there's there's showgirls so they're scantily clad but you know they're they're just they're in this cramp show they're in this cramped back room, they're trying to get ready, or it's like he or it's like his mom is reading to him, um when she's not on stage and and but they're all just wearing these like, you know, sequiny bras, so it's, he's just got he's like six inches from Titty the entire time.
0: Yes. <laughs> True
1: it was it's just like a like a really off-putting kind of Um, half of me
0: wonders if nancy myers like felt the need to like put that in and then she can justify just like spending all of the studio's money on like shitty rat pack music like to be played throughout the movie yeah where it's like oh it's like las vegas in the 60s when he's growing up yeah the
1: only the only way that nick can express feelings is by listening to frank sinatra's music um she also seems to have this thing. I think it's more pronounced in her later movies when they kind of specifically become like. So, I mean, specifically, uh, it's complicated and something's got to give. Where the the protagonists are like middle aged women, but there just seems to be this like sort of modesty to her main female characters, where um, they're always very conservatively dressed. They they're often. Um, wearing like, like monochrome, like all white, all black, all beige. Um, and, and just like very like sedate, tasteful makeup and earrings, even with like, uh, with Anne Hathaway in the intern, like her clothing, it's very like, I I mean, she, she is a, um, internet girl boss uh who owns her own clothing company and uh it and it's blowing up and it comes out of brooklyn and it's the most like j crew ass you know
0: but with a twist <laughs> which is she promises every article of clothing will fit Anne Hathaway <laughs>
1: yeah that's like yeah yeah no no that wow you mean like you mean like every other women's clothing company that isn't like, like fucking I can, Lane I Ryan I can, pro-
0: I can promise it fits because I wear it too and it's yeah, like
1: that you're a size 2 yeah. shut up <laughs> you could be a fit model <laughs> shut up you beautiful unicorn <laughs> god damn it i'm glad
0: your gross ginger husband <laughs> cheats on you yeah
1: but but still like like i like every other movie it's like it's like oh i don't want to be seen naked or like oh turn away while i'll put my bathrobe on it's it's just all this like you know e- even when it is a woman like kind of getting her groove back in like the whitest way possible uh-huh. um th- there is still this like Fear of the body, yeah, uh, that's very uh, prominent in in her work. Where it's, it's like it's like. Do you women... think it's a
0: second wave feminist thing? Do you think it's like a uh, like yeah. a sex negative?
1: Maybe. I mean, I mean, because like the eighties, that was the time of like. Um, the, the, the so-called porn wars in, in feminism Mm -hmm. where you had, uh, some feminists who, who kind of found themselves, uh, linking up with like very conservative groups because they were like so opposed to pornography. And then you had other, um, like sex positive feminists, you know, like Annie Sprinkle and, and folks like that who were like, no, actually, um, we, we fuck and it's awesome. And sometimes we get paid for it and that's awesome too. Uh, (laughs) It's a very nuanced take. <laughs> uh, um, but uh but that I mean in, in the eighties that that was a pretty significant discourse in fe- in like the feminist movements, um, or at least I would say like the mainstream feminist movement. Um Yeah. So I I think it's pretty obvious, like, like, like what side she comes down on. Even like, it's complicated where it's like, oh, Lake Bell's the young second wife and she has she shows her back off and she's a tattoo of a tiger. What a skank.
0: That movie's so bizarre. (laughs) Lake Bell does nothing wrong at all. it's kind of the uh, barreness in uh, fucking uh, oh, sound and of, music. of music.
1: A bit, yeah. She
0: didn't do nothing wrong. Yeah, we're we'll alone.
1: And it, yeah, it's it's like she's just like really like tense and cranky. And it's like yeah, she has like this like really hyperactive five year old. Um, Alec Baldwin's not helping her parent, and she's trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's gonna be a little on edge. <laughs> uh,
0: there is a conversation between Meryl Streep and all of her gal pals, and they're like. It's okay. We can hate her cuz she's crazy. Yep, and yep. you want to talk about a way that women tear each other down and like fail fail to achieve a uh, a, uh, a and fail to achieve a radical sense of solidarity. Uh it is. Well, she's crazy. Let yep. me tell you a little something about N- Nancy Myers and mental health. Let's talk about Marissa Tomei in the feature film What Women oh, Want. Oh,
1: God. Yeah, so so Marissa Tomei is playing this barista, uh, L- Lola. Lola? Lola. Um, and uh, Nick gets his coffee from Lola every morning and flirts with her and asks her out on a date. Uh, and she always turns him down uh, and, until he gets his telepathy powers. And then he realizes... She's desperate because she has no self-esteem. Uh, Why
0: would Marissa Tomei have self-esteem? I,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he, th- th- she, kind of becomes the example of like, oh, he can use his powers to bone down. Um, and they have, uh, then th- there's like a there's a really goofy scene where he's trying to have sex with her but listening to her thoughts and
0: this is. To Nancy Myers's credit, the one truly great moment where a woman's perspective fuels a genuinely fascinating take on the idea of men being able to hear the innermost thoughts of women, which is hey, guys, guess what? You really don't want to know what the fuck women are thinking while you're having sex with them because (laughs) the most fragile part of your ego is that part. yeah. And you need them to... I don't know, fake an orgasm or to like compliment you during sex or like whatever. And it's like, and the idea that like he is fucking Mel Gibson and he's been Mr. Suave all night because he is like pickup artist, mind reader guy who who can like manipulate all of her insecurities perfectly. And And then when he gets in bed, she's just like, Oh, his dick isn't that big.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, oh, that, too much tongue. And I yeah. wonder what's going tonight. He's a bad kisser. Yeah. And like
0: all and then and then like he just suddenly like can't perform like he can't yeah. even get it up anymore because yeah. he is just like so humiliated. That shit's great. Yeah. That shit is like, okay, this is this is like this is how biting the whole movie should have been. Yeah. If like the guy discovering that everyone thinks he's an asshole should have taken all it's like it should have been a lot more uphill battle than him just sort of like raising his voice a register and talking in Oprahisms, um, <laughs> But like Marissa Tomei in this movie is sort of just like, she's a fucking head case. It's like yeah. a generalized, like she's so anxious all the time and it's weird and needy. Yeah. And we don't really need to give her any kind of emotional resolution. Um, Nancy Meyer has no curiosity or sympathy mm-hmm. for quote unquote, unstable women.
1: No, she does not,
0: and she kind of despises them. And the ending of
1: unless the instability is my husband's driving me crazy or works really hard because I'm so successful, <laughs> even that not ri- it's like that's not instability.
0: That's a that's a like <laughs> yeah. the the she, those characters have so much goddamn poise yeah. that it's like they can't. It's a different thing. yeah It's like if you have the poise to be frazzled but still be perfect, yeah. then you are worthy of admiration but if you don't deal with things in a calm collected way
1: uh-huh. the way a man would
0: the may a man would exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: then you're you're crazy or uh the the word bipolar gets thrown around in the intern, which came out in twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. They're
0: they're just like casually telling their daughter, Oh yeah, your friend's probably like bipolar or something. Don't like she says she's not that you're not her friend anymore, but it's probably just because she has a broken brain. Yeah. And uh anyway, you should <laughs> learn to dismiss the thoughts of people with broken brains.
1: To be fair, I was going into the intern worried that it was going to be like, oh, these woke millennials and they're so politically correct all the time. And then it's like, no, actually, they're ableist too. (laughs) Okay, cool. Thanks, the intern. (laughs) Was not expecting that. My
0: mistake. So Nancy Myers has one use for Uh mentally ill women. What's that? What if they redeemed the man? What if they ultimately proved... What if they were the hard mode final boss sensitivity challenge? And if a man can deal with someone as crazy and unstable as, say, someone with severe depression and suicidal ideation, then perhaps that man is one of the great men. <laughs> Up there with Jean D'Arc. <laughs>
1: And and worthy of one of the great women. And worthy of one of the great women. So
0: speaking of of suicidal ideation, hey, everybody. Uh, We we just watched a Taylor Tomlinson uh, stand-up special that ends with like, uh, here's the suicide hotline ad because she talks about mental illness or whatever. Uh, This movie... And Judy Greer's role in it is all about suicidal ideation. Yeah. So uh there are, you know, hotlines hot and stuff if you suffer from those sorts of things, like I do, you know, they exist. They're not very good, but
1: <laughs> they, do, they do
0: exist. Um, anyway.
1: We'd we'd rather that you give them a try. Yeah, absolutely. Than, than hurting yourself. Absolutely.
0: Judy Greer in this movie.
1: We can't talk about Judy Greer's character in this movie without discussing um, the fact that she's suicidal uh, because that is 95% of her screen presence.
0: And 100% of her thoughts.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So as I said before, um, she has a uh, very humble position at the ad agency. Uh, She's just sort of always seen carrying around like uh piles of boxes and files and and uh uh, trays of snacks for the more deserving workers and and she has mousy brown hair and she's wearing glasses and she's sort of hunched over so you can tell that that this is a uh not a very happy person to begin with just from the way that she looks i mean mean, no no sumptuous white turtlenecks for her (laughs) this is a sad sad lady yeah um and uh she's also funny like nick overhears her thoughts and he's like oh that was funny and it's like was it nick
0: <laughs> <laughs> i conceptually in a much darker weirder movie that is sub- that supports it. Uh-huh. The idea of a character who you know, it's like the premise of the movie is that you get to hear all of the character's inner thoughts. Yeah, the character, the premise of a character who only looks around them and tr- and figures out how she could min- um like pull kill off herself? suicides yeah. with the things around her. Where yeah. she's like, if I jumped out of that window, I'd probably fl- yeah, that'd be enough. That would kill yeah. me. to <laughs> you go know, like. Yeah, maybe I don't even show up tomorrow. No, and shit like the yeah. idea that, that like is just constantly running through her head is so fucking weird. What would it's, what it's would hilarious? Her,
1: what would her So if she gets a job as like as like an ad exec or whatever, like what would her portfolio even look like?
0: <laughs> it would be it would be okay cola. It would be like weird.
1: yeah <laughs> Like
0: anti hot
1: topic. Like yeah. like what are they Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's like, it's like that's her personality. 90s PC
0: computer game ads. Uh,
1: fucking, I guess. But like yeah, th- that is her her whole personality and that's kind of um, what what gets Nick to to notice her and uh, she, she's kind of like um, this poor like if if Peggy from Mad Men in season one was just the the most poorly thought out character where it's like uh. You you have like like the like this mousy yep, low yep, level yep, yep. worker who one day is like cleaning up uh and and actually says something creative and gets noticed for it. As but the but it's actually a like creative little image that she comes up with on the fly. It's not, oh, I guess there is life on this planet. And it's like, oh wow, oh man, she's hilarious. I wonder if she goes to like Io or something, because she's so fucking funny and original. It's like she just <sighs> Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it's so frustrating. The reason she exists is because she is a barometer for Mel Gibson's growth. Because at first, she's just like, you know, uh, I probably could just like jump into oncoming traffic. That'd do me pretty quick. And he's like... Boy, that was a weird thing to think. And then eventually, it gets to the point where he is actively turning away from his career opportunities in order to save her. Yeah, especially that is is his arc. Is he goes from boy? It's kind of funny that she keeps thinking about exit bags, and then the ending is is is
1: like, no, she deserves to live, and I'm going to help her. And this is well, especially because he he finds out from. his uh his two personal assistants who as a reminder have no brain activity they remind him that uh she had applied for a copywriting job and he couldn't be bothered to schedule uh, a meeting with her Mm -hmm. um so he is writing a wrong that he himself has done um but uh but yeah it it does kind of become uh this like as you said like this boss battle for becoming a, a better person uh where he uh he, he learns that she didn't come into work, so he finds her address and... But... But... Before
0: he gets there, we were talking about how the metaphysics of the movie don't make any sense, oh, the yeah, quote-unquote mm-hmm. rules. Uh-huh. Here's what happens. First of all, falls into a hairdryer in a, in a bathtub full of home pregnancy tests. Right. Can read women's minds. Right. Uh, next thing, he tries to reverse it by getting lightning to strike him. Uh-huh. Guess what? He does get lightning to strike him. He yeah. summons lightning. Yes. And it strikes him.
1: He's not even at, like, the highest point he I, is he holding and something metal I don't I believe he's like
0: holding out a metal thing or okay. tennis racket okay. or something but he gets struck by lightning because it's a dumb it's a dumbass movie uh-huh. uh doesn't doesn't help he still has thoughts then as he's walking through Chinatown trying to find Judy Greer's apartment uh-huh. lightning strikes a transformer near him yes and he sort of looks up at it yes and goes huh that's weird you think God's trying to kill me Do you think God knows that I, Mel Gibson, am an awful human being, and he's really mad because he can see the future, and he knows how I'm going to align myself with capital H him? (laughs) And so capital H, he is trying to kill
1: me? (laughs) What God actually meant to say was, don't spend $4 million building a private church on your estate. Give it to fucking hungry people or something, you asshole, but... When it comes down through the atmosphere, it turns into a lightning bolt. Yeah, and that's science. what are you going to do? What that's are you going to do? That's
0: science. That's um, So lightning strikes a transformer near him. And he goes, oh, huh, that was weird. But he doesn't realize he's lost his power until he ends up in Judy Greer's apartment. And that's right. the really, that's the test. Is any man can read a woman's insecurities and say... and. And she's going, I hate my eyes. And he goes, by the way, I think you have lovely eyes. And she's like, well, there is life on this planet. <laughs> which is what most of the movie is. But she wants to kill herself. Yeah. And he can't read her mind. I know. He, all he can
1: yeah. do is read a suicide note, which, eh, kind of the same thing, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My my favorite part about the scene is how we learn that he's lost his power. Where, uh, so he, oh, god, he breaks into her apartment, he's going through her stuff. She does it, then it's the classic she's sneaking up on him, holding a tennis racket to hit him, and he turns around and he yells, and she yells. And then she says, I was just thinking to myself, what is he doing in my apartment? And he's like, Oh, I didn't know that. And it's like, W- a, I, a, I do. I, I apologize. I wrote down the dialogue because it's okay, so okay. insane.
0: She goes, I was just thinking, why is Mr. Marshall here in my bedroom? You were thinking that just now? And then she replies,
1: yeah, in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in my head. In my head, I was thinking it. <laughs> I'm a woman. <laughs> That's where my thoughts go. <laughs> I'm a smoke out. That's <laughs> just the... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 much to unpack here. So <laughs> her boss her boss has broken into her apartment and is going through her shit in her bedroom. She has to she feels the need to tell him that she's wondering in her head why he's in her bedroom. He is surprised to learn that she's wondering why he's in mm-hmm. her bedroom. Mm-hmm. And then it's explained that it's a thought that was in her head.
0: And then he goes, I know literally every other human being on the planet is a reminder that you are inadequate and that you don't hold a place on this earth and that you think that you would be better served uh, uh, fertilizing its soil. But what if I gave you a job? And she's like, that's all women want is a job.
1: (laughs) Mental health cured. <laughs> well, yeah, because because she has gained the approval of yeah. uh, the older male boss.
0: The most important thing that can happen in an Nancy Myers movie.
1: <laughs> and now she too can achieve her her kitchen that's the size of a tennis court. Robert De Niro in the intern has a
0: fifteen thousand dollars stove oh in his apartment. God.
1: Oh my fucking god! <laughs> he's all. He's also. Uh... He's the intern. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ <laughs>
0: Nancy, you're killing us, Nancy he he's
1: he's also uh I, I, we, yeah, we're just going all over the place with her filmography, but it, it's fine because all of these issues just kind of blend into each other uh as with so many directors, Nancy Myers is certainly not um not u- unique in this uh but just to bitch about the the intern for a minute um so Robert De Niro's character is a 70 year old man who's lived in Brooklyn his entire life and doesn't have an aggressive bone in his body he is the most patient soft-spoken um like uh like uh like Emotionally reserved human being. Nancy Myers, have you ever fucking talked to anyone who grew up in New York City? Have you ever met anyone from New York City? Have you talked to
0: Robert De Niro? <laughs> <laughs> that movie's so bizarre because the whole Robert De Niro thing, when it is working, which is not necessarily that often these days, but when it is working, it is understated face. Something kind of bubbling and boiling just behind the eyes. Killers
1: of the Flower Moon.
0: Perfect. Yeah, Yeah. let's go. Fuck it up. But in The Intern, Robert De Niro, you can kind of just see him go, I'm going to hit my mark soon. Yep, just hit my mark. (laughs) And here's the line. And I did my line. He's just kind of like, he kind of, he almost like visibly shrugs after every line and action he does in the movie.
1: Kind of. It's a bad film. (laughs) not a good film it, it is it is two hours long so long it's two hours long fifteen thousand dollar stove <laughs> i I <laughs> i I love something I love about you Patrick on this Valentine's Day yeah is how your most favorite movies and your least favorite movies are both like two hours of people doing nothing and nothing getting accomplished <laughs> Do not give me fucking Nancy
0: Meyers Lee egg ho- horseshoe theory.
1: <laughs> well, I guess I got to rip up my homemade Valentine now. <laughs> jeez, oh jeez. <laughs> I would like to.
0: I. I don't think I am. Uh. I don't think I am be doing giving you a hot take when I say the difference between yee yee and something's got to give is vast. um i love what do i love about this movie i love that it it, well actually i don't even love that it ends because it has the weirdest fucking ending in the world
1: all all of her movies have the weirdest fucking endings
0: because she doesn't know how to build a story Mm -hmm. she kind of just stacks story elements onto it and then they kind of like a like a house of cards that just kind of like collapses a little bit and then she goes
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, there's just sort of like this moment of achievement and then everything stops. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like
0: the camera goes on an extra 90 seconds when the movie has stopped.
1: I, basically, this, this movie ends with Mel Gibson kind of coming clean to, to Helen Hunt. So, so Nick basically. Um, doing the whole like, you know, run to the girl's house in the rain or whatever the fuck. Um, and, and he goes up to, to Darcy's apartment and he doesn't even tell her the, the whole truth. But he does he does admit that uh, that he's been stealing ideas from her. Uh, and then she fires him and then she tells him in basically the same breath that she loves him and she wants to save him. And then they kiss
0: that's how the movie ends.
1: And she's not even a little bit angry at him for plagiarizing.
0: Here's the here's the bizarre thing about this. There is no way he could steal her ideas unless he is a psychic. Right. He, but Nancy Myers knows that she already sunk eight minutes into a prom dress montage and she does not actually have the time <laughs> to do the incredulous psychic powers aren't real. Yes, they are real. i prove it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that whole thing is just like, nah, the movie's already been going too long. We just have to like truncate it. So he never admits that he has been like using mind control to manipulate her. Right. Which is the thing that he does. Right. Um, this, by the way, the reason that he has to sort of like do the run and, and big burst of uh, coming clean and, and, and admitting all that he did wrong is because they spend a month, working together late nights on a nike campaign and when the nike goes that's the campaign we want alan alda goes hey she, she, it looks like you did talking but she didn't so i fired her <laughs> and then and he's like oh, I shouldn't have done that Raj." <laughs> and, and but but because helen hunt this uh, man eater bitch on wheels yeah uh she does the job she was hired to do, which uh-huh. is bringing in uh, the the woman ad dollar to this uh, historically male centered uh, advertising agency. Yeah. When they're like, "Yeah, you didn't, you didn't talk though," yeah. she's like, "Well, I guess we don't even see the scene. It makes so little sense that Nancy Myers wisely knew that she couldn't actually show her accepting this firing without." Uh, without the entire audience turning on her and going, "What the fuck are you talking about? This this, this woman is an idiot." So she has it <laughs> happen off screen. Yeah. But like, this is the thing where we're talking about like how delicate and fragile Helen Hunt is. Yeah. She does the job, and then afterwards gets fired for doing the job, and no. then she s- sits in a bath for forty eight hours.
1: <laughs> not not only does she do the job, but because no one knows about. Nick's mind powers, she seemingly pulls off a miracle right. by getting her employee, who right. is this dyed-in-the-wool misogynist who's only done like beer ads with bikini babes, to work with her and then turn in this like rah-rah woman power uh sneaker commercial and to present it with like with like passion and respect to a panel of women who are deciding whether or not it's right for their company. So she just got a complete one eighty mm-hmm. from uh from this guy who was not willing to give her the time of day the 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 minute that she stepped into the office her first day
0: she should seem like the Annie Sullivan of Ada executives
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll go with that we'll go with that uh, <laughs> but instead she gets fired because she didn't talk <laughs> Like she, she just displayed like like true leadership. She didn't she didn't showboat. So let's fire her.
0: Um, it's a very stupid movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's poorly thought thought out. Even even when you just sort of say like, okay, well this is a fun movie where you can kind of uh, just run with this silly premise. Uh, Nothing else about it holds water. No, um, I will. I will say uh-huh.
0: because we watched all those Nancy Myers movies.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, and I couldn't find a place to put this elsewhere. Shot by Dean Cundy, the man who uh, worked with John Carpenter early in his career, also the cinematographer for big, big movies like Apollo 13 and Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. Great cinematographer. Watched the first 15 minutes of The Fog and just fucking weep at how good it looks. Um, he shot this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, this is. To date, to my knowledge, haven't seen The Holiday, the only Nancy Myers movie that doesn't look like absolute fucking dog shit where everything is so overlit that you think that they cut off the roof and God is peeking down. <laughs> like every shot it's something's got to give. There's just like really weird, harsh God rays and lights coming down on everybody. And it's just everything is super white like it's the architect scene in Matrix 2. <laughs>
1: It, it kind of reminds me of uh, there's there's that joke in Difficult People um, where they joke about the the lighting that Jane Fonda gets on Grace and Frankie where it's just like like this gigantic fucking <laughs> ring light um, that yeah that's what that's what uh, something's got to give looks like
0: yeah yeah um, so uh, you know credit to to what women want it's got a neat little uh, ad ex- ad agency set and uh, it doesn't look like dog shit so that's... <laughs> yeah
1: yeah some of the sets look nice um. Bet Midler is in a scene. That's right. She's she's a, a delight. I'm I'm always I'm always fucking thrilled to see Bet Midler, uh, and and she's very funny as like the, uh, um the the um what's what's the word I'm thinking of uh the 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 required scene of going to a psychiatrist and saying what's wrong with me because mm-hmm. I'm in a I'm in a rom com and things are magic now, mm-hmm. uh and <laughs> she just. The best thing that
0: happens in this entire movie has nothing to do with men and women and mind reading or high concept. It is just at one point, Bette Mittler smokes a cigarette.
1: No, she smokes a joint.
0: Oh, it's a joint.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's like th- this. This movie set in 2000 is this like weird overlap where characters both have laptops and are smoking cigarettes all the time. Yeah, uh, and you're right. That is a very narrow
0: window of time there.
1: <laughs> and um, so, so Mel Gibson, uh, you know, barges into her practice and and basically throws himself down on the, on the couch to to get he- his head shrunk and Benton <laughs> just just says to him can i smoke and he says oh of course and she she yeah she pulls out a joint because you can see him kind of sniffing the air confused and just like like the way that she's inhaling it
0: okay anyway that's the best thing that happens in the movie i love bet midler little little bet midler visual gag um
1: any is there anything else that we have to say about uh about what women want on this Nancy Myers esque podcast where we've just sort of wandered all over the place and, and laughed it up in our kitchen.
0: When I was 13, I, it is funny that we are laughing and, and having a grand old time late at night <laughs> in our kitchen, Nancy Myers style. I yeah. do like that. Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day. Um, when I was 13, my mom rented this and I watched it with her and I had a big old crush on Ashley Johnson, who plays Mel Gibson's daughter. And
1: She's very cute. Now
0: when I watch it, I go, oh, she does the voice of all these Disney characters. Yeah, it's,
1: yeah. It's a definitely... very weird, it's like, it's she well, definitely has one of those one of those voices, but very cute crush for a thirteen year old. Sure, it's
0: like having a crush on Baloo, but I'll <laughs> I'll forgive myself. Um, anyway, it's there's a uh, prom dress montage. That's a weird movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of stuff. Very, I'm so ready much. for the other segment. I am too. So the other segment is when we uh, we run out of steam talking about uh, the movie. That we've watched freeform and uh, we start to panic, and we need a little structure to the podcast. So we prepare a little uh, discussion question, a little game, a little um, excuse to drink alcohol, uh, and uh, share it with each other. Yeah. And we like to call it the other segment. The other segment. <laughs> so um, this evening, um, My other segment is um, that we're going to imagine that a studio um, has chosen one of the movies that we have previously covered on 96 Greers, and they want a remake of that movie. And who do they get to be... The screenwriter, director, they get Nancy friggin Myers. Of course. So give me, give me the pitch. Give me, give me the summary of this Nancy Myers remake, and we're calling this segment Private Againjamin. <laughs> I love it. That's good.
0: That's that's one of the best titles. That's one of the best other segment titles we've had in a while. That's oh, thank you. Private Engagement um, is a plus.
1: So, Patrick, why don't you uh, pitch your Nancy Myers remake?
0: Absolutely. And uh, my uh, remake is going to be Nancy Myers addicted to Fresno. And if you don't aren't familiar, with addicted to Fresno, it's available on Tubi, and we had, did a great podcast on it. Watch the movie, listen to the podcast, it's a lot of fun. enjoy them both. After she gets fired from her position as president of Harvard University due to a mix of plagiarism accusations and her insistence that Harvard men were much more manly in the 40s, (laughs) Shannon Jackson, played by Jane Fonda, is forced to slum it, serving as vice president of the Waldorf Astoria in Beverly Hills, (laughs) serving under her spunky, loving, kind, intelligent, beautiful, ambitious, brave, dependable, inspiring, compassionate, and empowering sister, Martha Jackson, played by Jodie Foster. Martha is a straight woman. There are two scenes in the first 10 minutes where she makes a slightly ribald penis joke, and those jokes are followed by 20 seconds of uproarious laughter, so the audience knows it's funny. So don't worry, Martha is straight in this one. (laughs) 30 minutes in, we reach the point in the script where Nancy Myers makes a catastrophic error. Something happens. Shannon accidentally kills a guest by mixing up his prescription medications. Luckily, the next 40 minutes of the movie are them in the hotel's giant white kitchen where they have conversations about how much they love Bobby Darren while groping various various stainless steel appliances <laughs> in scenes that neither move the plot along nor are connected tonally to anything that has come before. A young man played by Darren Bartnett tells Shannon that she's lit and when she declares that the mentally ill is are just uh, too afraid to work, he says, that's the new woke and he does a skateboard trick. <laughs> Then he begs her to sleep with him because he finds the way that she can name actors from 1970s TV shows impossibly sexy. <laughs> but she declines, instead, choosing to win the approval of 98 year old poet Dick, played by Dick Van Dyke. Yes. Yes. Who eventually tells her in a late night office powwow that she's the greatest girl boss of all. And also, he remembers listening to Calvin Coolidge on the radio. <laughs> There's another 40 minutes where nothing really happens except someone says the word dildo and they all titter. (laughs) Then it ends in an obvious reshoot where Dick Van Dyke says that in the old days people weren't on their phones as much and that's why we should bring back the draft. And you're like, huh, is that how it ends? Kind of feels sudden. And then also the entire movie is overlit and looks like garbage.
1: That was... uh very uh incisive uh satire of nancy myers thank you i feel now i feel like i did a crumb bum job but that's okay but
0: you named the segment so you still are a winner
1: (laughs) all right oh i love i i love the idea of fucking dick van dyke as like a romantic lead in a Nancy Myers movie, like like I could see I could see it happen. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see it happen. Still
0: alive, still
1: upright. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Bring him in as like a, a mentor for a scene or something. I mean, her next movie is probably going to be like um, Amy Schumer is like a Twitch streamer who plays Among Us or, or something. I don't fucking know. Uh, <laughs> just kind of going off off the intern. Next is going to be the streamer. And it's Amy Schumer. I don't know. Anyway. She learns
0: to meet uh meet her uh Trump loving dad in the middle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's okay, that's not the movie I'm pitching. This is. <clears throat> Bobby is a hardworking mom who owns a small boutique insurance agency in a resort town on a beautiful island off the coast of southern Florida. She manages to be a successful girl boss who everyone takes seriously and still has time for sassy conversations with her kids. But disaster strikes when the vintage espresso machine in her office break room (laughs) goes on the fritz and starts a small fire. She has to redecorate. Stat. But where is she going to get the money? two potential clients offer her a chance at salvation and romance Irving is a brooding older European gentleman who owns a wig factory sensitive Vincent makes furniture by hand but his true passion is training koi fish (laughs) you have to stop drinking beverages while I talk I apologize (laughs) who will Bobby choose or will she learn to choose herself Judy Greer is the key woman. I hate it. <laughs> well, I like it just fine. <laughs> oh,
0: I, I, I memory hold. I didn't I didn't think I had memory hold any any movies we've covered, but I was listening to you and I was kinda of panicking because I was like, What movie is this? <laughs> Koi what? Fish should have been a dead giveaway.
1: We, yeah which, which is hilarious because we mentioned we mentioned the keyman like all the time yeah uh,
0: <laughs> I just the details of it I just have banished
1: when more of you download the keyman episode we will stop shoehorning it into newer episodes is that what we're doing we're trying to make sure all the episodes are even no that, that's just what I'm doing okay Fair enough. <laughs> that's that's just my little weird Yeah, that's cool um.
0: We have another other we, segment.
1: We do. We do. Um, so uh,
0: sometimes for other segments, I just rip off uh, segments from other podcasts. And Why that's not? what I have done here. I'm a big fan of the Stephen King podcast, Just King Things. I believe I referenced that earlier.
1: And they made the mistake of not copywriting shit. So yeah, we're going to steal it. That's
0: true. That's true. Um, they have a segment called Uncle Stevie's mixtape, where they where they review all of the songs that Stephen King makes a point of mentioning within a given novel. So I thought we could go through the soundtrack of What Women Want, which is very Rat Pack heavy, mm-hmm. and we can give our one to five star reviews of every song that plays during the movie. Mm-hmm. Now. This is not Something's Gotta Give, and you know that because Something's Gotta Give opens with Butterfly by Crazy Town, right. you know, because Jack Nicholson's cool and he it, and his sort of musical avatar is Butterfly by Crazy Town. That's how <laughs> you know he's like a cool guy.
1: He, he, do, he does uh, own a, a rap record, a hip hop record label. Right.
0: And, and no one's more rap than Crazy, Crazy Town. Town. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this movie opens with Something's Gotta Give by Sammy Davis Jr., uh, I give it three stars. It's a pretty good lounge song, but the bridge sucks. He says, so on guard, who knows what the fates may have in store from their vast, mysterious sky. Shut up. That's stupid.
1: <laughs> uh, I also gave it three stars. I said it had decent energy, but it's a pretty generic Rat Pack song, and it's just not that interesting.
0: The next one we're going to cover is "Mac the Knife by Bobby Darin. Why don't you go first?
1: Um, I said true crime podcast, the song, but also... Is, I mean, this one's a classic. I fucking love this song so yeah. much. I gave it five stars. I think uh, it's, you know, it's a very simple melody. And uh, I mean, it's taken from Three Penny Opera. So it's like uh, very context heavy. It mentions a lot of like characters from Three Penny Opera. But the the Bobby Darren's delivery is so like sharp and dramatized and kind of winking I could listen to that song every day.
0: Yeah, I also gave this five stars. It's, it's I love the build. I love that it is yeah. the same melody repeating, but it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And Bobby yeah. Darren just keeps going bigger and bigger with it. Yeah, I love how violent it is for a pop song of its era. It's mm-hmm. about as close to gangster rap as Bobby Darren ever got. <laughs> um, though uh, I will say, his last album, he went by Bob Darren, and he tried to do a folk thing.
1: Ooh boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. I was, well, I was just going to say Splish Splash could kind of be like a party anthem.
0: Splish Splash. Splish Splash was the hot here of 1957. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next song is I Won't Dance by Frank Sinatra. I give it two stars. Ring-a-ding-ding, you're so lovely. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a couple songs like this. I'll talk about this later. He doesn't make a good case for why he doesn't want to dance. He's like, oh no, I'll fall in love with you. It's like, then fall in love with her. Stupid (laughs) idiot. What's wrong with that? It's not like there's no con. There's no context for some greater hardship where it's like, no, I'm married or no, we have already fallen in love before. and We know it won't work. It's just, I don't want to fall in love. So it won't do the thing. Can't make me boop, boop, boop. Shut up. Two stars.
1: <laughs> I gave the song four stars. I thought it was fun and breezy. It has it has the 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 line "Heaven rest us. I'm not asbestos," which I thought was <laughs> delightful. Um, Fair. And uh, I I was pretty charmed by the scene in What Women Want, where it's literally just like Mel Gibson dancing around uh, his apartment with a hat. It's I better str- than it sounds. I, I promise. strongly
0: resented the idea that we have to watch this guy who sexually assaults and harasses women That's the entire fair. movie. Like we have to watch him do his little dance so we know he's cool. Because I'm like, he's not cool. He's a monster. Uh, but the in its
1: in the itself as in a itself, sequence yeah. is
0: very good. Yeah. You are right. Um, the next song is Night and Day by The Temptations. What did you think?
1: Uh. I, th- so the song itself, Night and Day, I mean, it's it's a Cole Porter classic. Um, so that I love. I thought this version really sucked. Um, it's not even the original lineup of the Temptations. It's like the 90s Ship of Theseus Temptations. Yeah, that's a good way of um, putting it. So yeah, 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 it's yeah. just like very uh, kind of generic, uh, tame R&B sounding. Um, not my version of this song. How many stars? I gave it th- three because it's like, five-star song two-star cover and that's being generous
0: i give it one star i fucking hate it's like this really overproduced lugubrious like just blah yeah it's uh this is the kind of music i would listen to when i was like a little kid and i thought i didn't like music because there was a lot of this kind of adult contemporary on the radio yeah when i was like five or whatever it's kind of like drowning in chiffon oh
1: my god that's such a scary thought I being mean, 5 years old and being like maybe I don't like music. Yeah, I oh. was
0: just like, "Ugh, yuck, no thank you." Um, "What a Girl Wants" by Christina Aguilera plays in this movie during the interminable oh. prom dress montage.
1: Okay, first off, this is the worst choice for a trying on clothing montage. The song is too slow it has no energy Mm -hmm. it is so middle of the road Mm -hmm. the production girls
0: just want to have fun is what you're aiming
1: for yeah 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 and and that's not the song at all the the production's very dull it's this like mid-tempo song where uh it's the worst of both worlds where it has no energy but it's not slow enough for Christina Aguilera to really show off her like her 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 pipes yeah
0: How many stars? Two stars. Two stars. I also gave it two stars. There's weird pew pew laser noises in the drums that I hate. <laughs> um very slow and dull. There's one good part, which is the pre chorus where she goes, holding hands, making plans, and it's looking for me. You understand? And it's like, is it gonna build up to a No, it's just that repeating what a girl wants, what a girl needs, shit again. Yeah. And then that little like quasi gospel breakdown where it's like, what a
1: girl wants. Yeah. What a... I Ugh. hate that shit. That shit's Ugh. terrible you're not like a prayer
0: right you're not like a prayer exactly um if i had you by nena freelon
1: okay i I was not familiar with nena freelon but i do want to listen to more of her music now because i was just so enchanted by her voice it's so beautiful and, and rich and full um the song itself, though, was kind of typical. Like uh, we were we were listening to it on a YouTube video, and it was one of those YouTube videos where someone's grandma has like set it to um, a slideshow of like clip art. And then it was like a waterfall, autumn in a forest, a sunset. And then there was an amateur photo of two ducks in someone's swimming pool. And that's what this song felt like to me. An amateur photo of two ducks in someone's swimming pool. It's it's perfectly fine but meh, okay
0: i gave it one star i think it's boring as hell i think it's really slow i think it's really generic like vocal jazz shit and then all of the lyrics it hit every cliche you can think of where she's like i'll swim the ocean i'll cross the desert i'll climb the mountain and it's like you're just fucking naming geographical concepts to just be like i'd do that one too i'd ski the tundra what <laughs> like are you gonna tell her to shut up it shut up <laughs> stupid <laughs> one star man uh next is i've got the world on a string by peggy lee
1: i really like this song i've i've always quite liked this song it's so it's so playful um it's it's one of those songs where someone is just tickled pink to be in love and is just on top of the world and untouchable um I think Peggy Lee's uh, voice um, is is perfect, like like that playful energy that she brings uh, just is it, it really hits it. And then there's like like a flute in there that also really kind of highlights it and just compliments her voice really well. I think the bridge to the song kind of sucks though. I agree, it's, yeah. it's kind of, meh, but um, no. It's just, it's just this like beautiful, lilting, fun like early twentieth century melody where it's just like, no, we're it, we're we're on top of the world, and I and I just bought an oldsmobile and I'm in love and no one can touch me. Four stars.
0: I gave it three stars because I really love Peggy Lee's voice, but it's a very repetitive song. Um, so I didn't like the, how repetitive it was. Sure. Next is nobody about me by Lou Rawls.
1: I said the piano is cheeky and I'm going to stand by that. Okay. <laughs> no um, one's here to fight you. Also, uh, Lou Rawls, the King of Stank.
0: Yeah. He's got, he's got great pipes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, he's just got, he's got like that perfect so amount of gravel. Personality. Um, I gave it four stars.
0: I gave it four stars as well. All I said right. he had a great voice, more personality than most of the rest of these uh, sort of Rat Pack loungy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really like songs about how every single thing in a person's life is fucked except for love, where he's just like, "I got a dumbass <laughs> dog, my car won't start, my job sucks, and my boss hates me, but I got you." Yeah. And he has a line where he says that she's a genuine Athena from her head down to her feet because I like that. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like "What a Wonderful World" by Sam Cooke, but not as good. Uh, four stars next is I've got you under my skin by Frank Sinatra
1: again this was uh kind of uh a, a a rating problem for me in that I think the song itself is very good um again I mean Cole Porter classic uh I I grew up listening to like Sinatra and Mel Torme and um Tony Bennett so I'm I'm pretty familiar with like this era of music just sort of absorbing it as a child um and so I I think this is probably one of my favorite Cole Porter songs um I don't like the Sinatra version I I think I also have this problem with uh with Sinatra's version of Night and Day where um the the content of the lyrics is someone who is just like so like powerless to the love that they feel but sinatra as a performer is so like collected and detached like he he's i won't dance yeah he's not i've got you under my skin even though right. it's a it's like his signature song but still it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't work for him i gave it three stars
0: i give it two stars because frank sinatra is so boring all these songs about uh-oh better not love you shut up
1: <laughs> shut up
0: frank sinatra <laughs> next is the best is yet to come by nancy wilson
1: um The Best Is Yet to Come is my favorite Tony Bennett song. The Tony Bennett version is on another level. Um, this version was fine. I gave it three stars.
0: I also gave this three stars. Uh I like the swing of the verses. I don't remember the how the verse melody goes, but I like the swing. Um but the entire song is there's a part where she goes. Ba, ba ba da ba da da, da 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 da, and whenever that's happening, I'm like yay. Yeah. And whenever that's not happening, I go go back to the ba ba does. I don't like this other part, <laughs> so three stars. Uh, Two marvelous for words by Frank Sinatra.
1: Um, I said the lyrics are fun, but the song itself doesn't grab me, so I gave it three stars. Although I didn't, I didn't pick out it. Well, he's just sort of like listing uh, floor, like he's listing flowery adjectives which is very cute it's very magnetic fields um, but yeah the song itself is very generic sounding
0: I gave it four stars because I think it's a great fucking song Johnny Mercer killed it on the lyrics and the thing about all these like Frank Sinatra songs that drives me insane is they're all like really shallow and they're just like this one tiny idea that doesn't get developed or mm. grow in interest or dimension it's just this very shallow love song and it's like if you are Are going to be inane and shallow. You really need to be this fucking clever with the words. And when he says, I'm borrowing a love song from the birds to tell you that you're marvelous, too marvelous for words. Fucking great. That's great. Fucking great. There's even a good instrumental bridge in this version oh my god it's too bad it's frank sinatra but i mean he <laughs> can't kill it johnny mercer is too good
1: <laughs> that johnny mercer he's like magnetic med he's magnetic fields for grandpas he's magnetic fields for gay grandpas <laughs> you heard of your first yeah absolutely
0: the next is i see you baby by groove armada the fat boy slim remix
1: <laughs> um i thought i thought i said this is a fun song and i danced to it um uh, Being used in the movie I think it's a weird choice for a makeout song Um, But for like a fun party song Like hell yeah There's a line in it where the singer says That her name is Grandma Funk I probably misheard that but I hope that's what she actually said. I gave it four stars. I
0: gave it four stars as well. It's classic era Fat Boy Slim. It's got those like big ass drums. Yeah. It's got a weird little like fucked up guitar riff where you, he like you took a 60s surf guitar and then chopped it up yeah, or something. You,
1: you cannot sit still listening to that song.
0: Um it's got that uh thing where he'll like take a syllable and then like stretch it out. He'll do the praise you like I should. He, you know, shaking that ass. mm <laughs> Um, mm. And Fatboy Slim has a freakish ability to know exactly how repetitive he can make a hook before it hits the breaking point. Yeah. Um, and my hot take here is Fatboy Slim is better than Frank Sinatra. Whoa. Uh, like 100%. Whoa. I mean, I was FS born... FS
1: versus FS. I was
0: born in 1987, and I know what FS I'm going for.
1: I guess so. Uh,
0: finally. Finally. We have the song that started it all. This is what he is listening to when he is trying all these feminine products right. that eventually leads to his superpowers. Right, Bitch by Meredith Brooks.
1: I think we should point out that in the movie, he is rifling through his daughter's backpack and pulls out her CDs, and he says, Fiona Apple, when the pawn, no. Alanis Morissette, jagged little pill, who's that ugly Canadian? Throws it away. Meredith Brooks, she's hot. Yeah. And then we we get him listening to bitch.
0: Uh-huh. What do you what do you think about "Bitch" by Meredith Brooks?
1: Um, I'm on. I'm generally on board with the message of the song, uh, and I love when she says, "I'm a bitch." <laughs> Is a very
0: specific pronunciation of bitch
1: i'm a bitch i've just been i've just the past 24 hours has just been me wandering around this apartment in my bathrobe going i'm a bitch i'm a bitch so so this is like like the, the a, a long dark night of the soul that's about to end while i purge myself of my opinion of, of this song um I, I i think it's pretty dated uh, I I don't I don't think it, it has the it has legs. I don't think there's anything really that interesting about it. Um, I I loved it when I was thirteen, uh, and I thought I was a woman, but I'm often wrong about these things. <laughs> uh, two stars. <laughs>
0: I gave it three and a half stars. I can't help it. I, I I like I like that the guitar part in the verse is just the intro to Jack and Diane. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I like <laughs> Which I, is a good
1: guitar intro. It's I like that. I like
0: that it is the uh that it is the fucking nineties thing where it's like a rock song that has like a DJ drum loop instead of drums.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um I think that's really funny. I I to me it is all about uh, I like I like list songs. Uh, you I do mean,
1: you do like a list. I, song. I like a
0: list song. <laughs> I like I think it's got a good pre-chorus. I think uh, as good as she it is hearing her go. <laughs> I think it is, it is even better when all the music drops off and you just hear. I run into one. Like I think that shit's good. <laughs> um, my, the the note I took here is if you can't handle me at my sinner, you don't deserve me at my saint. <laughs> which that's is, not bad. That's kind of what the song is. Yeah, yeah. So that is the other segment. By the way, never gave the title of this other segment. Oh, well, yeah, please. The title of this other segment that you just heard is Music to Our Greers. Aw. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's nice. And I
0: think this is something we can bring back later on if we encounter some yeah. more mainstream movies that have big uh, soundtracks
1: yeah, on Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed, for sure. Um, yeah, so, th- so that, was, uh, that was the other segment. Uh, lots of telling musicians to shut up, uh, especially ones that died in 1998. But it's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does... Frank Sinatra died in 1998? He
0: did. You know who thrived in 1998?
1: <laughs> Meredith Brooks.
0: Fat Boy Slim. Oh! <laughs> That's right. You do the math. <laughs>
1: fs versus fs (laughs) i'm i'm just imagining like like frank sinatra in his hospital bed and he closes his eyes for the last time and and the the spirit just sort of leaves his body and then like halfway across the globe um uh uh, fat boy slim just wakes up and goes praise you
0: (laughs) i was i was thinking something else which which is he his final words on his deathbed are Uh he goes and most of all i did it my way, bone
1: for damn Oh man! <laughs> so who's the, who's the new FS who who uh, who who takes the crown from from fat from Fat Boy Slim in true Greek tragic fashion? Uh, t- f- f- fake Simpson. <laughs> Nice save. There's a rapper A Frank Simpson, I promise. Don't look it up. (laughs) I don't know, that's a weird thing to spring on a guy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for springing a weird question on you. P.S. No, not, P.S. P.S. Another P.S. Another nobody, another. nobody listened to Uptown Song Club, the podcast series where Patrick just springs weird music questions on anyone who sits in front of the microphone.
0: It's, uh, it's a wonderful podcast.
1: <laughs> it is actually very good. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, we are... Uh, bring in this one home. That's right. With judilization as we always do. Um this is our running list of the movies that we cover on this podcast where we rank them on a list from the best judilized, best use of Judy Greer in a movie to worst judilized. Um we have 20 uh we have 20 motion pictures on the list at this time. At number 1 is Eric LaRue. Um, which we hope everyone will be able to see soon. We don't know about distribution, but uh, it's really good. Um, right smack dab in the middle, we have The Descendants at 10, Lolly Love at 11, and all the way down at the bottom, we still have In Memory of My Father. Uh, so I will say, I'm kind of wondering if maybe we have a new contender for worst utilize really
0: i want to hear your pitch because i i that's not where my mind was but i could be convinced
1: um i mean oh okay so, so this this might be the the genesis of judy greer as like awkward office employee which is something that we see again and again in her career wedding
0: planner is a very similar character
1: yeah slightly well, less suicidal yeah um I, I don't think Judy Greer has the right energy for vulnerable, chronically sad girl. Uh, Like, I, as much as I love seeing her in movies, and I would never wish her harm, like, when we hear her thoughts of wanting to die... I really just don't feel anything for that character. I mean if that's the only thing that she's given to work with it just it, uh, there's just there's just something about like her energy and and like who she is as a person where with no other information about her that just feels so forced yeah. you know uh it, I, I I didn't buy it and I and I hate to say that about like a character where it's like her only situation is this like genuinely difficult burden to bear and like I don't want to seem like I'm making light of anyone who's in that situation I just I didn't feel for this character yeah <laughs> I really didn't
0: um so my feeling was that she is like She's not a subtle actor. Like right. she kind of can do big and broad, mm-hmm. and I kind of like that's kind of why I like her so much in The Wedding Planner is because The Wedding Planner is a very silly movie and yeah. she is able to be silly within it. Yeah. And so to a certain extent her ability to emote and just uh be big mm-hmm. felt like correct for this movie. But I think what you're saying is a good point in terms of like if they cast someone who was maybe a little bit more like dark in color palette and like in like, you know, darker hair, or, like someone who yeah. is like who reads as just like, like depressed, like, sad like person.
1: What what if she and Sarah Paulson had switched roles?
0: That might that might have worked. Um,
1: the, or just That's like the thing you're allowed to do on movies, right? Just just go up to another actor and being like, you want to you want to Freaky Friday this? <laughs> you want to parent trap this? You want to pull a parent trap and old Nancy? Nancy, me and Sarah have an announcement. We've decided to Freaky Friday this bitch. <laughs> Judy, no.
0: Yum <laughs> Um, there's another thing, which is maybe not quite the purview of judilization, which is everyone in the contemporary reviews of this movie that I read from 2000 uh-huh. sort of agrees that this subplot is terrible and doesn't really add anything yeah, necessary to the movie. Yeah. And so the idea of like,
1: how was she utilized?
0: She was cast as the thing that adds an extra 15 minutes for no fucking reason.
1: Yeah. she She's the she's the left tonsil of what women want.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that might also be a factor. What I was yeah. thinking was just like her energy, the movie's energy, more or less in sync, even if not like doing a great job. I was thinking more along the lines of Elizabethtown Pottersville. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think in memory of my father might still be worse because she is the only likable character where she is supposed to be the least likable character.
1: In in memory of my in father. In my in memory
0: of my yeah, father. But in
1: in memory of my father, she's also really miscast.
0: Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Um, so you you, I, you I were think, saying I think this...
1: she is more miscast in what women want than in memory of my it's father. It's
0: difficult for me to say that because she is like the most miscast. Like she is, she, she is supposed to occupy one polar opposite, one polar end. And instead she occupies the opposite polar end. Uh Where in this. She's just sort of like, I don't buy it, which is to me is a different thing. Okay. Um, I would put this maybe then uh, either uh, below grandma or below the cat returns.
1: Yeah. I, I would argue cat
0: returns. I don't buy it in memory of my father i go i squint and i go wait what are they even trying here okay, because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so not correct
1: um i i would even i would put it below cat returns because at least like with with cat returns there is like this level of abstraction to it where mm-hmm. it's like how do you play a cat princess? Well, that's kind of open to interpretation. Uh, I mean, as, as much as this is a you know frothy, fantastical movie, there is more groundedness to who that character is supposed to be. And uh, our our gal is just, j- j- she's, she's just like contorting herself to, to fit in that mold. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess in Cat Return, she is a little more, her character is a little more integral to the plot. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Also, also not much of a plot in that movie, but that's fine. It's being written by a 12-year-old who's obsessed with John Denver. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, that's a good yeah. episode. You should listen to that. Um, yeah. So my argument would be for uh, Below the Cat Returns. And uh, and I will cede um, in memory of my father. I, I will accept that. Okay. <laughs> then we are in accord. Yes. Shake hands. Shake hands.
0: Yes. The customary Valentine's Day handshake. Yes. Yes. Very good. <laughs> A pleasure doing podcast business with you.
1: Yes. So we've got What Women Want at the new number 20 of 21. Not very well utilized, but that's okay. Um, She's pretty good at street so we can't really hold that against Nancy Pretty good at what? Street-bizing. She she utilizes uh, Meryl Streep very well, and it's complicated. I... Meryl's streep seems so fucking
0: high and it's complicated. She's high for a little bit if it's complicated. But the entire well, that's that's again, maybe why she's maybe why she is not very well utilized is (laughs) because the entire movie she is just like cannot stop giggling and laughing at like the most inane things. And then later there's a whole plot about how she got too high at a party. And it's like, that's you. That's already you, Meryl. You aim for vivacious, but sometimes you overshoot it into pothead.
1: I would get too high with Meryl Streep at a
0: party. No one, no argument. <laughs> Meryl Streep, Steven Steve Martin, Stephen Martin, Steven, Sir Steven Steve Martin, <laughs>
1: Martin, and myself. I, I think, I think of everyone in the, in the cast of is complicated. I would most want to get high with Steve Martin.
0: I, I, and I'll tell you this. Uh, flip side. Uh, uh-huh. The cast of the the Intern. Uh, Nightmare Blunt rotation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> In the cast of the intern, I would get. Don't
0: make me smoke with Adam Devine. It's not. I know you. You said it's like smoking with Jack Black. It
1: really isn't.
0: It's Ugh, like smoking no. with Adam Devine.
1: Ugh. Ugh. That, that just that just gave me a, a little shudder. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to investigate. It's that. real bad. Anyway, it's anyway. real bad. Yeah. Oh, let's move on to the next. Uh, so, uh, oh, oh, it's a real marathon starting out 2024 next we've got men women and children which is a 2014 anthology movie about the complications of the internet uh directed by jason reitman uh 2014 internet's a complicated place we had no fucking idea but we'll dive into that next month yeah um 96 careers is part of the now playing podcast network check out the other uh media centric podcasts at now dot net I sh- hope
0: shout out to Christmas movies actually who gave us a shout out so right back at them I, I love hearing about all the weird kinds of movies that will also have a Santa <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um. Yeah, yeah why don't why don't you uh, talk a little bit about the episodes that you've done with them oh
0: I uh, I have uh, appeared on uh, mostly what I've been doing is appearing on all we're covering all the Silent Night Deadly Night movies uh, <laughs> Silent Night Deadly Night part four is a Weird anti feminist, uh, like Cronenbergian nightmare. Um, and it, and that episode was really fun, so you should check that out.
1: Um, you can follow us on Mastodon at 96 Greers at laserdisc.party. You can email us at 96 Greers at proton.me. Uh, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at Panda Bear Shape.
0: I'm on Blue Sky at Uptown Song Club on Instagram at Uptown Song Club. And until next time, uh, this is Reg. And I'm Patrick. And And say goodbye to
1: thee.